One problem facing people at many levels of business is how to make time for a work life and a personal life. Do you find that one seems to keep getting in the way of the other? This is the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Even if you're not involved in the business world, you'll have a lot to gain by tuning in to today's show. Now, here is your host, Rick Morris. And welcome to another Friday edition of the Work-Life Balance. We've got so much going on. It's been a crazy week. It was my birthday week, right? So it was a lot of stuff, a lot of people pouring out uh, on social media. So I love you guys for that. Uh, and appreciate all the well wishes that we got on LinkedIn and, and Twitter and Facebook uh, for you guys. It's always kind of a weird week for me, my birthday week. Um, so had a lot of fun with that, though, and we appreciate you guys. Uh, lots and lots and lots of travel uh, coming up. was just in Des Moines, Iowa uh, at the PMI chapter out there. I had a great time with you guys and appreciate the love that you showed out there. I'm going to be in Jacksonville, Florida on Monday uh, at the PMI chapter out there. And then turning right around, we'll be at the Leadership Institute uh, meetings in Chicago, Illinois, as John Stenbeck and I and, and 10 other authors have collaborated on the Agile Almanac Volume 2, which officially launches tomorrow. So you're going to be able to find that uh, on Amazon and everywhere that you buy books. Uh, it's going to be a huge release. Uh, we've got forwards uh, written um, uh, by all kinds of people. It's, it's really, really exciting uh, a book, uh, really about how to scale Agile into the enterprise, uh, so programs and, and portfolios, it's the, the next in the anthology that John Stenbeck has started. Uh, and so we call it the Dirty Dozen of Authors that have come together in, in just uh, incredible. I got my advanced copy when John was with me uh, uh, earlier last week, and it is an incredible read. So you guys are going to want to get your copy tomorrow uh, on the official release. And then we're going to be hosting a series of get-togethers in Chicago, Illinois. So if you're going to be part of PMI uh, Global Congress or the Leadership Institute meetings at PMI in Chicago, Illinois. We'll be out there with you guys uh, there. And then shortly thereafter, John and I will be at CA World uh, in Las Vegas doing a speech and also some book signings uh, with that book uh, that's going to be in November out at CA World. So a lot of events coming up. We're super excited about that, uh, so we can't wait. But I do want to get to our guest right away uh, because this gentleman and I spent some time at the Resource Planning Summit uh, earlier um, uh, a few weeks ago. And I actually did a uh, you know a radio show from there, and uh, we had a lot of fun. And uh, so I, I got a chance to see him speak and, and reached out to him and said, you know, got to be a part of the show uh, because he was very very unique. As, as you guys know, I do a lot of these events. I, I get to go you know all over the world and speak. And uh, when I'm always there, I look for somebody who's very unique and very different. And uh, just the way he even started his speech was very unique and different. Um, and he's the world's first humor engineer which I thought was hilarious. Uh, and he teaches people how to get better results while having more fun. He, and he's worked with thousands of people uh, at 200 plus organizations, including P&G, uh, GE, and Microsoft. Uh, so he combined his background as a project manager at Procter & Gamble with his experience as an international comedian. And his programs are engaging, entertaining, and most important, effective. He's a best-selling author. He's been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, and TEDx. And he's delivered programs in 50 states, 18 countries, and three continents. And he loves the color orange because, of course, I do as I go to support my, my wonderfully exciting Tennessee volunteers while they get smoked by the Alabama Crimson Tide tomorrow. Uh, and, of course, obsessed with chocolate. So let's bring him on to the show, Andrew Tarvin. Andrew, how you doing, bud? I'm doing great. How are you, Rick? 
Doing good. Color orange, though, man. But is there a Tennessee connection, or is it just fascinating? Uh, there's orange? not. I just love the boldness of the color orange. I went to Ohio State, so I'm also I also bleed scarlet and gray, as we say. But uh, love the color orange for its boldness. Frank Sinatra also loved the color orange, so I feel like we're all in good company. There you go. And so, what what really intrigued me, and in, in, and so a lot of people know here uh, as well as I talk about them all the time. You're you're an improv guy or studied improv, and. Uh, so one of the best people I, I know in improv is Wayne Brady, good good friend of mine. And uh, so you started to to do this. Tell a little bit about your background because I love the fact that you just decided one day that you were going to call yourself a human engineer. And, and tell a little bit about that background. I thought it was a hilarious story but also very bold. Yeah, so the my background is uh, have always been an engineer, an engineering mindset. Uh, you know, always obsessed with efficiency. So I joke that, you know, uh, I was even born, I was born three weeks early, so apparently even in the womb, I was all about doing things efficiently. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I went to uh, the Ohio State University, got a degree in computer science and engineering, but while I was at Ohio State, uh, my best friend wanted to start an improv comedy group. Uh, he needed people and forced me to join, and we watched Whose Line Is It Anyway? We watched Wayne on that along with uh, Ryan Stiles and uh, Colin Mockery and that whole group. And we would try to repeat what we saw. We would try to play the games that we saw them play. And, you know, I was never a performer or anything like that, but uh, I fell in love with making people laugh. And then after I graduated, I started working at PNG and found that I was using the improv skills just as much as I was using what I learned in computer science because I was using improv skills to relate to people, to build relationships, to explain things in interesting ways. And so started to explore that intersection of improv and business and humor in the workplace. Well, and, and, and you speak quite a bit. I do as well. And one of the things that we really, I think, let, let, let's not pick on our profession because we're both project managers, but mm-hmm. our profession's not funny. And, and yeah. a lot of people don't have a lot of fun in our profession. And, and one of the things that stands out in both of our speeches is that use of humor. And in, in your show prep, you say that 83% of Americans are stressed out at work and 55% are unsatisfied with their jobs. And the lack of fun or having fun in the workplace seems to be a pervasive issue. And so why is humor so important in the workplace? Yeah, well, I think you make a great point that like we as project managers, a stereotype is there because there's a lot of dry things that we need to do. We have to give a lot of presentations. We have to do a lot. But I also always find it interesting that we as project managers label people as resources, right? If you think of like a computer as a resource, we label people as resources. And I think sometimes that leads us to forgetting that the people that we're managing are actual human beings with human lives and human emotions. And the fact that if you had a bad day at home, if you had a terrible weekend, if you had a stressful kind of thing dealing with a sick kid or something like that, that impacts your ability to l- deliver your results, to actually get results done, to, to deliver on your timelines and all that kind of stuff. And it turns out that Humor helps us to manage things like manage stress. It helps us to recharge our batteries. It helps us improve communication. You know, like I'm sure if you've experienced with your programs, like when you get people to laugh, they're paying attention. They're like, oh, this is going to be fun. This isn't going to be another boring talk on risk management. This is actually engaging. So I want to pay attention and I'm going to learn something in the process. So there's, you know, 30 plus benefits to using humor in the workplace, all backed by research, case studies, and real world examples. And that's what, as a project manager and as an engineer, why I care about humor is because it actually works. And there's there's a technique to also using humor to make sure people understand that you're not taking yourself that seriously. Mm-hmm. That allows, I think, walls to come down and and people to understand that there's some humility in that as well. 
Yeah, a lot of times we forget, you know, that uh, our manager or um, even that rock star person, I'm sure you have this, what you know, knowing this about Wayne is that we have certain mindsets about different people, but that humor disarms him. It's like, oh, yeah, that's right. He doesn't take himself too seriously. Or um, she has self-awareness to know kind of what's going on. And that allows people to build stronger relationships. And ultimately, when you have stronger relationships, you can get better results. Yeah, we actually modeled a uh, a team building exercise behind whose line is it anyway, in the sense that, you know, where all the points are made up or where everything's made up and the points don't matter. And so mm-hmm. we made our team recognize something good that everybody had done uh, for each other and award points. But what it did was make everybody look for something good. But then they would say, like, uh, that person gets a million points because they helped me with my project charter. Um, but it was fun and it was funny and everybody would laugh. But it really built a very strong and centered team. Yeah, and there's nothing to say that, you know, just because you're having fun doesn't mean that you don't take your work seriously. Like, right, serious results is not antithetical to having a good time, which is crazy because I was just uh, speaking at an event in Long Island and someone asked a question uh, as we were talking about things. They're like, but what if your manager sees it as a negative that you have a good time? And it's like, that's a crazy, it's crazy that, because it does exist, but it's crazy that we live in a world where someone would look at someone having a good time and be like, well, you must not be taking it seriously because you're having too much fun. It's like, why does why does work have to be that way? And the, the reality is that at least now in the knowledge economy, when we have more fun, we do better. Well, it's a known fact that you're also opening up creative channels. Mm-hmm. Right. So stress clamps down where laughter actually opens up creative channels. So by creating a funner or engaging workplace, you're actually creating a more productive environment. But you're right. Um, if if the big boss was walking by and there's a room that is in, engulfed in laughter, the immediate thought pattern is they're goofing off and it is a negative perception. Yeah. And the reality is they might be laughing as a way to relieve stress or like you said, to to warm up the brain. They did a study where they uh, had kids uh, and they found that kids who watched a 30 minute comedy video before attempting to solve a problem were nearly four times more likely to solve that problem than kids who watched a regular video or no video at all. Because humor is about creating those connections. It's basically, you know, a good warm up for the brain. It re-energizes uh, you know, kind of some of the stuff that you talked about. Because if you think about when you're stressed and you're overwhelmed, that's all you can focus on. But when we can laugh about it, when we take a short, uh, strategic, disengaged break, then we can come back to that work with, uh, you know, renewed vigor. Yeah, I totally agree. In fact, uh, you know, as I said, I, I had relatively a, a rough week and, and I just, you know, shared a moment with, with, my, uh, with, with my chief operating officer, uh, where we were literally in stitches before the show, and, and I'm so re-energized, it's not even funny. But we were poking fun at ourselves and, and, and laughing at uh, what would happen if we were in this situation. And um, it, it completely just resets it. And, and he and I have been doing We've been uh, in business relationship for 20 years. Um, but we still relate to our favorite moments is when we worked at the bank and we would spend 20 minutes in the morning before everybody else would walk in and we would just be howling with each other. We would just be laughing over the silliest things. But that that's what we remember at the bank, not everything else, those, those yeah. 20 minutes with each other. Yeah, and that's a great form. So there's four kind of overall styles of humor defined by Rod A. Martin, uh, a psychologist. And he, you know, one of them is self-enhancing and that's using humor as a way to kind of process life. So Kurt Vonnegut said that 
laughter and tears are both equal frustrations to or equal responses to frustration. I myself prefer to laugh because there's less cleaning up to do afterwards. Right? And sometimes <laughs> there's yeah, it's those situations where it's when you can find the humor in something rather than kind of how challenging it is, we can laugh and recharge. It's similar to kind of what you're talking about with with that stress, I remember being in a meeting at PNG and we were kind of butting heads and it had, you know, been going like that for a little while. And then uh, my manager was ultimately like, hey, at the end of the day, we have to remember that we sell soap. And like, <laughs> not to not to discredit what we do. Obviously, it's so important, but it's also like it's not life or death. Like we can take a step back and not be at each other's throats because, you know, of what we're trying to achieve. So small things like that allow you to, to take that break. And speaking of breaks, we need to take one right here. So we're going to listen to some sponsors, and we'll be right back with Andrew Tarvin after this. You're listening to The Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. Today, every business is in the software business. And business is booming. That's because we live in an application-driven world where the lines between physical and digital are blurrier every day. It's a world where billions of connected things talk to each other. Where agility is the new driver of competitive advantage. Where applications aren't just part of your brand. They are your brand. All of this means you have a new mandate. Build the apps that will drive the future of your business and satisfy demanding customers, or fall behind. Only CA Technologies has the years of expertise and the end-to-end portfolio of software solutions to help you plan, build, manage, secure, and scale the applications at the heart of your modern enterprise. To learn how your business can thrive, visit rewrite.ca.com, your exclusive source for insights from the cutting edge of the application economy. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. 
And we are back with the crossover of a project manager to human engineer, Andrew Tarvin. And Andrew, what was your title at uh, PNG? Well, officially, I was hired and worked as a uh, international project manager in the IT space. But more unofficially and more declared, I was the self-proclaimed corporate humorist of Procter and Gamble. And and how did you get that title? Uh, yeah, I I made it myself. So I uh, about a year into the company, I uh, was exploring kind of this idea of humor in the workplace and improv and business and all that stuff. And so I just proclaimed myself the corporate humorist. I wrote a blog internally at humor.pg.com and made myself some business cards and basically kind of told people that's what I was and what I did. And I thought for sure that someone would like come down and tell me that I couldn't just make up my own job title. But uh, no one ever did. Instead, people started referring to me as that. Like, I'd go to a, a networking event or be working with a team, and they'd see my name, and they'd be like, wait, Andrew Tarvin, you're that, you're that guy that wrote the poem with all the billion-dollar brands that we have, or you're the guy that was emceeing that event that I had before. Um, so it was a lot of fun, and it, it, it was great for my internal brand, but it also helped me to discover this love and this intersection of humor at work. That's incredible. Did did you get to make up your own paycheck, or was that? Just, yeah, was that... no, that's still that still came on the project <laughs> management side. But it's funny. I mean, you you speak to that idea of like, uh, you know, when you you think back to uh, working with your friend, you think about the humor and stuff. That's what people, you know, when they when they talk to me or when I reach out or that kind of thing, they remember the oh, you. I remember when you taught improv exercises to us as a project team, or I remember all the jokes that you included at the ends of your emails. They're never like, you know, I, I remember all the PQR stores that you had, or I remembered how good you were with scope. Like they don't remember yeah. those details. They remember the human elements. Dude, your Microsoft project schedules were immaculate, right? right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, so you're, those, yeah, those schedules, so good. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, your Gantt charts are gorgeous. So <laughs> they're disgustingly pretty. Yeah, um, no, no. Instead, they remember things like one of the things that I started to do was because uh, I had to give like a lot of updates and stuff was I started to be kind of like Alfred Hitchcock. And I was like, how can I work a picture into every single presentation that I do? And so it became kind of this fun game because people were like, all right, is it going to be a blatant picture where it's me at the beginning and some story that's somehow related to it? Or is it just going to be like my silhouette behind a chart or something like that? It was just fun things to do. And I, what I found is that the more I used humor, the more people got excited for it. Like, like I mentioned, I would add jokes at the end of my weekly status reports. And there was one week that I didn't send any jokes. I just forgot or I was busy or something like that. And I got so many emails back that were like, where was the joke? And I found that people were like willingly opening my email and at least scrolling to the bottom. I don't know how much they're reading, but they're at least scrolling to the bottom to read what this joke was. And it became this known thing of like, hey, when he sends an email or when I go to one of his meetings, it's going to be fun. There you go. It, so now I'm going to segue. I had something else I wanted to ask, but now I'm going to segue. So one of the things that uh, I had asked um, when I was at the bank, you know, I was on the floor with, with 100 people. And so there was 15 other team ma- uh, managers that were the same title as mine. And so I have massive ADD. So I used to just get bored and I would do th- things and, and, and try to enforce policy and that kind of stuff. So, you know, one of the things that I was known for is you never walked away from your computer and, and not lock it. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a security violation, number one. But I would do things like send emails to their team with, with silly things like the black crow flies at midnight. And uh, we did this one thing where this guy couldn't figure it out. And, and so I thought his team would tell him that I was the one that did it. And the team was like on my side. They, they, they didn't tell him that I was the one that do it. And so now he's trying to, 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 you know, figure it out. So he leaves again. 
And I hit the computer again and says, now if you tell me that the black crow flies at midnight, um, I'll give you movie tickets. So now the whole floor is coming up, and, and the, the, the big boss found out that I had done that, and he's the one that comes up to the guy going, Where, where's my movie tickets? If you promise movie tickets, you got to give everybody on the floor movie tickets. And they let him go over the weekend. He's trying to figure out, are the Black Crows coming to concert? What's up? You know, those kinds of things become legendary, right? The, the, and, and, you know, people that would send out flaming, one of my favorites, one of the guys that would get mad and is like, you know, I'm tired of all the broken chairs ending up in my area. So, of course, he goes to lunch, and what do we do? We put all of the broken chairs. Oh, yeah. And so he gets mad, and uh, we come in the next day, and this is Joey, one of my favorite team managers. You you come up, and there's a paper on the window that says, team managers that can take a joke. And this dude's name is scratched out. Everybody else's name is there. Those kinds of things are legendary to me in the corporate world. Yeah, well, and, and we, like even even that that thing like that you mentioned, we did the same thing of like if someone didn't lock their computer, we would change your desktop background to like My Little Ponies or Disney oh, or something like that. With the same thing, but what it does is it's actually a form of effective humor that it's reminding people. There was times that I went back to my computer to make sure that it was locked, not because it was a security breach or anything like that, like it was technically supposed to be, but because I didn't want my background changed. And so it was reinforcing a certain type of behavior in a positive way using humor. And we've got a caller on the line. Uh, We've got John from Spokane, Washington. That would be Mr. Stenbeck. John, how are you? Hey, Rick. I'm well, thank you. And Congratulations on our new book going live, and I'm so I'm just totally enjoying hearing Andrew talk. Um, I'm I'm a huge believer in the value of humor, and maybe it's because I'm an engineer too. But you know the brain science behind the amygdala affecting the prefrontal cortex, and it makes you a better problem solver, a better risk analyzer, and all that stuff too. So I know that's the non-humorous side of humor, but glad you guys are talking about this. Thanks for pitching in there, John. Thanks for bringing us down at the same time, man. <laughs> Getting in the all science oh, you know side me. of it. I, I can kill almost any party. <laughs> well, and, and that actually brings us back to a question. There was four sides that you were talking about before that, Drew, with the, the humor side. And you were talking about one, you, you said that the, the tears and, and the laughter on the same side of it. And there was three others. Did, did you want to circle back to that? Yeah, absolutely. So, and I think, you know, as John kind of mentioned, there's a lot of science about this. There's a lot of psychology and research that's been into it. And so that's what I, you know, what I care about in the research that I do. And for me as an engineer, kind of reverse engineer the humor process so that we can teach people it. And one of the things that I think is helpful for people to understand is the four styles. And so, like we said, self-enhancing is one style. And that's where you're using humor in a positive form for yourself. There's affiliative humor, which is positive, inclusive humor. So I think the best way to think about this is like think about Ellen DeGeneres and her TV show and like how it's positive. Everyone is involved. Kind of icebreakers and team builders tend to be kind of affiliative type humor. There's self-defeating humor. That's a negative form of humor, but the target is yourself. So this is self-deprecating stuff where, you know, if you're giving a presentation or if you're in a high status position where you kind of poke fun of yourself a little bit uh, can be a super way to kind of disarm people. Um, and say, I don't take myself too seriously. And then there's aggressive humor, which is sarcasm and satire. And that's a negative form of humor that is targeting someone else. And that's a particularly challenging one to use in the workplace because of the dynamics and the relationships. But what's interesting is that there's a fine line between, say, aggressive humor and self-enhancing humor, and all that's dictated by your relationship. So if you think sometimes of like the pranks and stuff that you would pull on coworkers, if it's in good fun and it's positive and people can kind of take a joke and they go back and forth, 
that's great self-enhancing. If it's a way to kind of make someone feel alienated and alone, that's aggressive. And so especially with leaders, one of the things that I work with them on is how to do more affiliative and self-enhancing humor as opposed to aggressive humor because what they see is like, oh, I'm just being playful and, you know, poking fun at this person. If they don't feel like they're at the same level of status, then it can be, you know, the negative effect of humor it can be the, the other side of uh, the sword kind of with it. And so, you know, having that understanding of those differences can sometimes help you be more effective in the workplace. And I think it's important. And so I teach a lot of disc profiles. Um, and so marrying that with also understanding your communication style. So for instance, uh, me being a very high eye person, uh, as we've already seen on this radio program, I can catch a squirrel and run um, it, with, with my high ADD. Uh, one of the things that immediately gets thrown onto me, especially in a presentation, is a lot of people can see that as, as having a high ego. So then I use the disarming humor of self-deprecating. Um, mm-hmm. I do that on purpose so that people recognize that I don't take myself seriously, right? So that's the disarming tactic that I use. So I think marrying your humor style with the understanding of your communication style. So if you're a high D personality, which is an aggressive style, then you want to do the more affiliative Right. So that you're making sure that you're being inclusive. Right. So I think it's understanding not only the the humor styles, but what your communication style is so that you're picking the right one. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. And I think you speak to a a greater point as as a whole, which is for me is not just to use humor for fun. Right. That's a great reason for it, but really to have a specific purpose for it. And so one of the things that I teach is your humor map, your medium, your audience and purpose and purpose being the most important one. So like you said, when you have a clear idea of knowing, oh, I want to use some humor to disarm and kind of uh, reduce my status to show that I'm human, that's going to be a different type of humor than you might use to, oh, I want to build a relationship with someone who I see as a peer. Or, oh, I want to uh, warm up my brain a little bit so that I can be a better problem solver. And having that idea of that purpose is a great way to kind of get started to using effective, appropriate humor so that you don't have to worry about people thinking, oh, that feels inappropriate. It's like, nope, when you have a purpose to it and people can kind of see that purpose, then that's where you're getting going to get really good results in the workplace. Yeah, and you did a really good job on stage of disarming everybody. You came out and did that little thing with, you know, I look like Timberlake from here to here. And I can't remember who the other person was from here to here. Um, when you were on stage uh, talking about uh, just you, you threw like seven jokes out in a, in a hurry to disarm the audience. But what I think is funny and also very difficult is when you're announcing yourself as a humorist, then the the whole audience is looking at you, going, "Okay, Andrew, make me laugh." Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. Right. And that that's that's got to be even harder, right? It's, it's like going to a comedy club. Everybody's going, "All right, funny man, make me laugh." Yeah, it definitely changes expectations. But that's the nice thing about the workplace is that no one has an expectation. So the bar for making people laugh and having a good being a good humorist as a project manager or in your workplace in general, is typically much lower than being a stand-up comedian. So it doesn't have to be as challenging. Absolutely. So we're going to go ahead and take another break here, and uh, we're going to visit some more with Andrew Tarvin right after this break. You're listening to the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? 
R Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. This is not a radio ad. It's a collection of computers, servers, transmitters, satellites, and receivers, all powered by the most transformative force in business today, software. Just think about how many applications you have within reach at this very moment. And not just on your phone. If you're in your car, software is powering the GPS that guides you. Turn left ahead. The digital road signs that direct you onward. And the engine computer that keeps you moving. Soon, software will even replace you as the driver. Switching to auto drive mode. This is life in the application economy. And the opportunities for businesses are endless. But only if you have the tools to seize them. From planning to development to management to security, end-to-end software solutions from CA Technologies can help your business succeed in this new application-driven world. Learn how at rewrite.ca.com. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. And we are back to the Work-Life Balance. Now, if you want to visit Andrew, you can visit him at Andrew Tarvin. that's T-A-R-V-I-N, com and find out all about him now andrew we were talking now you know obviously the stand-up comedy angle the humorous angle but you parlayed this and your travels into a book is that right that's correct yeah just recently launched a book called uh, the united states of laughter one comedian's journey through all 50 states and all 50 so a lot of us have 46 or 48 49 you know personally i've never been to montana so but uh, tell us a little bit about the book yeah, so the book is, Montana is great, by the way. Uh, there's a f- fantastic burrito place there called La Perea. So if you go there, uh, I got the chicken fettuccine Alfredo burrito. Oh, uh, my Lord. Which is, yeah, exactly. Because when you're thinking, you know, what's one way to make the heavy food of chicken fettuccine Alfredo uh, better, yeah, it's to wrap it with a tortilla. You're talking to an Italian who loves Mexican food. So you just spoke oh, my language, my then friend. Then it's yes. perfect. You know, yes. I think in the book, in the book I describe it as um, like an Italian chef doing the merengue on your tongue. It's amazing. 
But uh, yeah, so that's the book is I uh, I put all my stuff. I was traveling a lot for work already with, you know, speaking at a bunch of different conferences and or with work doing workshops with organizations and uh, decided to put all my stuff in storage and lived out of two carry on bags. And I traveled and spoke or performed in all 50 states in 12 months. Uh, I also took a selfie in each one uh, and have a video of that and ate food in each one and went somewhere in each place. And then uh, I decided to write this book called The United States of Laughter, which is a story from each state, kind of exploring that journey of that year-long process of going to all the states and kind of what I learned along the way, both about the states, about myself, about you know people in this country. Um, and the reason why it's called The United States of Laughter is I realized that you know despite what we see on the news and there's a lot of kind of butting heads and all that kind of stuff that uh, when it came down to kind of one-on-one small person interactions, I found connection through comedy and uh, you know people were still uniting through laughter. And so the book is kind of you know that focus with uh, a lot talking about some of the humor stuff and talking about how what it's like to be a comedian, but then also you know the best donut I ever had in Fargo, North Dakota. So there's a mix of a lot in there. So uh, maybe uh, take a story or two and share with us some of your favorite moments. Yeah, so there's a lot of a lot of really cool moments that uh, that happen. So one of them, you know, the book starts in the in Ohio, uh, where I grew up, and it's me having dinner with my mom and kind of coming to this realization of how important she was in terms of my. Uh, success and being that person to always support me. And also, you know, as we think about work-life balance, someone who's always tried to have fun in the work that she's done and that I kind of learned that from her of like that we can laugh in the workplace. So uh, us sharing a meal over um, uh, some calzones at La Rosa's, which is a Cincinnati local favorite place. So stories like that to uh, the time that uh, I was hiking in Alaska and had to uh, to, uh, fend off a bear a black bear that was on the path, and I did it nice. by singing a song. Um, of course, yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that's, that's what, what Rangers, you're trained to do. Yeah. Well, that's what the rangers told me to do. I was talking with the rangers beforehand, and I was like, I've, I don't have much experience with wild animals. And they were like, uh, so, oh, if you see a black Andrew, bear, just talk to it. I'm sorry. i, I got to interrupt yeah. here because I have to know what is a song that you came up with when your life's in danger and you're mm-hmm. fending off a black bear? Well, yeah, so that's the thing is like, so I, I talk to the rangers and they say, just talk to the bear. They like some people just tell the bear what they're doing. And so I was like, oh, cool. So like bears are introverts, right? You start talking to them, they'll go away. <laughs> and I can say that because I'm an introvert. I'm INTJ. Uh, <laughs> but uh, then they're like, so I was like, okay, I kind of get it. And then the, the one ranger is like, actually, some kids have a song that they sing to it. And I was like, all right, now you're just messing with me. Um, but the whole time I'm hiking, I'm trying to think of what I'll sing. Like, well, I sing like some Drake, some hot light bling, like that was a popular song at the time, but I ended up making up a song cause I was nervous. And so the song was something along the lines of, uh, Hey bear, don't bother me. And I'll just let you be. And then it kind of fell apart. I'm not Wayne Brady. Wayne Brady would have come up with a fantastic improvised song. I had nothing. Does Wayne Brady have to choke a bear? Right. Yeah. So yeah, I'm with it. Yeah. Oh yeah, my goodness! So it's, it's fun stories like that, and I think you know the part of it is it's it's my belief that you know you are one hundred percent responsible for your own job satisfaction, right? It's not up to anyone else to, to make you enjoy your work. 
other people can help, but no one can like own it like you can. And so even something like, you know, traveling, I wanted to make it fun. And so I made it fun by taking a selfie in every single place. Or I, you know, made it fun by making sure that I got food in different spots and all that kind of stuff. So it's about, you know, different ways of making that choice to enjoy what you do, whether that is project management or traveling to all these places, you know, as part of work. I, and I love that. We're, we're actually developing some content right now around what we call framing. And so it's about framing, you know, speeches, framing content, uh, framing the story. And, and it really is dealing with current stage politics around left and right. Um, but uh, so we, we've taken a series of photographs and, and we're telling a story around that. But it's around what portion of the story do we want to tell and where we stop that you can frame it. And uh, what we like about that as well is is also how you frame uh, something as simple as I have to go to this meeting versus I get to go to this meeting. And in, in changing one word, you can frame your whole approach into how you're going to go about your day. And, and I think humor comes into that. I think what you just said, uh, there's people immediately as they're driving to the airport of going, oh, uh, I have to get on this plane. Um, or you can say, I get to go on this plane. I get to go on this adventure. And, you know, I think when you frame it in such a way, um, you can change your whole perspective on everything that you see. Yeah. As, as Charles Duhigg talks about in Smarter, Better, Faster, a phenomenal book, uh, he says one of the keys to motivation is turning chore into choice where it's like exactly that point of where you say, I get to. And that's one of the things that we talked a little bit about at the, the um uh, resource planning summit the topic that i was talking about was leading on your feet and what we can learn from improvisation and one of those things that we learn from is you know is what's your vision what's this reason that you're doing things and then it becomes a lot easier to connect your why i'm doing this individual why i'm sending out these 20 emails that i have to send out connect to the larger purpose of well the job security that i get and the ability for me to raise my family in the city that i want to and the x y or z whatever it is that you get out of your work can be a helpful frame to think about. So it's not just, oh, I have to send these emails. Like, oh, no, I'm doing it for this purpose. So coming back to the humor angle, um, one of my worst experiences in, in playing with humor, you have a go-to joke. I have, I have several on stage as well. Uh, what if that doesn't work? And so the experience I always share with is, is uh, I was being translated. I, I was in Brazil. And I didn't do enough research, a young speaker at the time. Uh, and uh, so a lot of my jokes were based on American references, American culture. And so I'm waiting for this joke that lands every time. I mean, every time. And, you know, when you're being translated, you have to wait, right? And it, mm-hmm. it's a longer pause because the translator is, is waiting. And, and so I'm waiting for the joke to land. And I'm staring at, at 750 uh, uh, Brazilian people and just nothing. <laughs> Right. You have that just that that wonderful pause that the and then I'm thinking, well, you know, the Brazilian translator just didn't do a good job. And I find <laughs> out, no, nope, it was just me because the guy after me is just killing the audience. I mean, he's yep. just slaying the audience. Talk about that that experience. Yeah. And I, it, as certainly as a comedian, everyone's been there where it's like I had same experience in Malaysia. I was doing stand up in Malaysia as part of a, in addition to some work that I was doing there. 
and thought it was, well, this audience is just quiet. And then the guy up after me, you know, crushed it. And it is interesting because I'll do programs with, uh, I do a lot of, you know, tech conferences and IT groups and it'll be a relatively quiet crowd. And then people will come up to me afterwards and be like, oh, I thought you were so funny. I really enjoyed it. And I'd be like, I saw your face or you barely cracked a smile. (laughs) So it's like, if you're having a good time, tell your face. (laughs) Right, let your face knows that you can smile, you can laugh, you can nod, all that stuff. Um, But I think part of it is, you know, is presenting it. There's a couple of things that that help. Is one is as long as your humor is positive and inclusive, then you know, even if it doesn't land as a joke, it didn't just becomes a positive, inclusive statement, right? And so the awkwardness a lot of times that you feel with a joke not landing is is only there if you dwell on it, right? It's because you leave a long break and you're like, wait, where's the laugh? And so if no one laughs and you just move on to it, most people will forget about it. Or if you have kind of a, a save in your back pocket for a joke that, uh, you know, doesn't quite land. Like Eddie Izzard always does the like pull out the imaginary pad and pretend to write down a note like never do that joke again or that wasn't funny or I don't think that they got it. Um, you know, I do things like sometimes that was just for me because that's part of why I started using humor in the workplace was I was getting bored in my own meetings. And I was like, if I'm leading this, if I'm bored while I'm talking, they've got to be bored listening to me. And so, uh, you know, it's just about adding ways to have more fun. And so I include certain jokes into my own presentations that are just, you know, kind of, I love puns and wordplay. And so I did uh, this program that I did in Long Island two days ago. Uh, I have this, this thing that I talk about where I like, when I say using humor, it's kind of like the salt of a meal. So like you're not going to use an entire you're not going to eat an entire meal of salt because that would make you a horse. And do you want to be a horse? I say nay. (laughs) It's a bad joke. It's bad wordplay. And it was I kind of smiled and then one woman laughed kind of out loud like Ava like and I was like and no one else did and I was like that joke was just for the two of us. I just did it and then people laughed at my commentary on it. So like it's it's going back to kind of that self um, awareness thing where you can kind of poke fun at yourself again and, and get a laugh on the fact that it didn't work. So there's saves that you can have. There's you know having confidence certainly and it helps. And then as far as making sure it's a- appropriate, one thing that definitely helps is considering the newspaper rule. And the newspaper rule just being, you know, are, would you be comfortable with whatever it is that you said or did showing up in the home in your hometown newspaper for your boss to read or your mom to read or your parakeet to read? And if you're like, ah, I don't know if I'd want my boss to see me doing an impression of them, then it's probably not, you know, affiliative humor. It's probably not the most appropriate for the workplace. And so those types of things can help you have more confidence because the reality is that no one's been fired because of a bad joke. They've been fired because of an inappropriate joke, but never like a bad joke. Got it. So we're going to take our final break here, and we will be back with our final segment with Andrew Tarvin right after this break. You're listening to The Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Today, every business is in the software business, and business is booming. That's because we live in an application-driven world where the lines between physical and digital are blurrier every day. It's a world where billions of connected things talk to each other, where agility is the new driver of competitive advantage, where applications aren't just part of your brand, they are your brand. All of this means you have a new mandate. Build the apps that will drive the future of your business and satisfy demanding customers or fall behind. 
Only CA Technologies has the years of expertise and the end-to-end portfolio of software solutions to help you plan, build, manage, secure, and scale the applications at the heart of your modern enterprise. To learn how your business can thrive, visit rewrite.ca.com, your exclusive source for insights from the cutting edge of the application economy. This is not a radio ad. It's a collection of computers, servers, transmitters, satellites, and receivers, all powered by the most transformative force in business today, software. Just think about how many applications you have within reach at this very moment. And not just on your phone. If you're in your car, software is powering the GPS that guides you. Turn left ahead. The digital road signs that direct you onward. And the engine computer that keeps you moving. Soon, software will even replace you as the driver. Switching to auto drive mode. This is life in the application economy. And the opportunities for businesses are endless. But only if you have the tools to seize them. From planning to development to management to security, end-to-end software solutions from CA Technologies can help your business succeed in this new application-driven world. Learn how at rewrite.ca.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. And we are back, and we've been talking about humor in the workplace and being funny and all that stuff. So, Andrew, you know, what would you say to people that say, you know, Andrew, I'm, you know, people are just born funny. I'm not funny at all. What, what would you say to people like, like that? Yeah, there's, I, there's, and certainly I was someone that kind of believed that as well. But it's my belief now that humor is a skill, uh, which means it can be learned. And I, I believe that because I'm someone who has had to learn how to use humor. Because I've done over a thousand shows as a stand-up comedian, improviser, spoken word person, storyteller, all that kind of stuff. I've you know done all 50 states, 18 countries, three continents. And uh, when I went to my high school reunion a couple of years ago, people found out that I did comedy. And they're like, but you're not funny. <laughs> it's like growing up, I was never the life of the party of the class clown. As I mentioned, I'm an INTJ. I'm a, I'm a type uh, A blue square INTJ with the sign of Aquarius. <laughs> um, my personality assessment, right? Um, but I've learned that I got every one of those, by the way. I got every one of those jokes right there. Yeah, got you every- got them all? Good, yeah. good. So you know all those assessments. I'm also Pocahontas. If you know which Disney <laughs> princess you are, um, I can go days for those. So Pocahontas, all that. But, you know, it's it's something that it's just like anything else that you you have to practice it and do it. And so that's what my a lot of my workshop programs are is like, OK, how do we actually build this skill? Because we can re- reverse engineer the process and look at, you know, what are some of the common shortcuts that uh, comedians use? Things like a comic triple where you create a list and the last item in that list is something that's funny or unique or uh, an extended metaphor through an association where you compare two things together or, you you know, storytelling is a really big, uh, really powerful form of, I think, subset of humor in some ways 
to be able to get results. And these are all things that you can learn and you can find which styles are more natural for you and which ones don't work as well. And then the other thing that I'd say is that, is that people who want to use humor in the workplace, you don't actually even have to be the creator of the humor. You can be, you know, the shepherd of humor. You can find humorous things and share it out. So you can find a great TED Talk that you like, maybe mine on the skill of humor as a shameless plug right there. Um, but you can, like, send that then to your team and get them to, to share. Or you can take an exercise that you've learned somewhere else and apply it in a meeting. So one of my favorite questions to ask, uh, and I used to start all my meetings with a question, was what's something that's true for you that you don't think is true for anyone else in the room? And you don't have to create that. You can take that question verbatim and do that in your next team meeting to get to know each other a little bit better. And so, you know, it comes back down to this idea that it is very much a choice. And it's your choice to try to learn to use humor a little bit more or to find other ways to incorporate it or to, you know, take a couple of classes or whatever it happens to be to, to build that skill. So I want to try to help you out because you said there was 18 countries and our show is actually downloaded in 91 countries right now. So we want to make sure that we can expand that 18 country reach. How do people get in touch with you to uh, book these workshops? Yeah, so there's a couple of different ways, uh, and I would absolutely. Uh, my goal is to eventually get to all of the continent. So certainly, anyone in Ar- Antarctica or uh, in South America or Australia would love to to come and and uh, work there. Um, but uh, they can get in touch with me uh, at andrewtarvin.com. Uh, speaker website. If they want to learn more about humor specifically, that that's humorthatworks.com. Uh, as a company that I have, and then on all social media, I'm Drew Tarvin, uh, D-R-E-W-T-A-R-V as in Victor, I-N. So you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram, uh, all that kind of stuff, at Drew Tarvin, where I tweet pictures and puns and wordplay and stuff like that. So uh, any of those places are great places to start. And uh, so one of the questions we ask all of our guests, right, is what is some of the best advice you've ever been given? Yeah, best advice I've ever been given was the first week starting the job at PNG. My manager told me that it is better to beg for forgiveness than it is to ask for permission. Which is exactly how you got your title. It is exactly so. That's that's that was the thought process at PNG was uh, you know being kind of that young upstart uh, university just fresh out of university. I was like, all right, so I hear you saying that. I'm going to see if you mean it. And that was kind of the the prompt to then try some of this humor stuff and to start to get good results with it and to try, you know, all right, if it's better to beg for forgiveness, let's see what happens if I proclaim myself the corporate humorist. And it ended up working out very well. So I'm going to throw you for a loop here um, because I'm sure you've been asked this question as many times as I have coming off a stage. So people come up to me all the time and they say, I want to do what you do. Mm-hmm. How do you answer that question? Then do it. Um, you know, not like, not completely like that, but it, it's very much, I, the way that I did it was I started internally and I would encourage people to do that. Oh, if you want to speak, if you have something that you're, you're passionate about talking about or, or getting out there to people, then find ways to get out there to do it. So I started internally and offered to, you know, I started first with like, Hey, if we're going to do an offsite, can I do a 20 minute icebreaker in the morning to get us started? And then people like that. So then that led to, can I do an hour long communication workshop using improv? And then that led to me writing about it. So then can I, you know, take this leadership program that we have and can I do uh, an hour lunch and learn on humor? And then I went to, when I decided to go external, I went on meetup.com and looked for anything that I could remotely feel like I could talk about humor about. And so I'd talk about humor and networking or I'd reach out and talk about humor and agile project management or um, humor and stress management, whatever it is and get out there and do it, 
right? And so that's my biggest piece of advice. There's certainly like, so you can look at organizations like the National Speakers Association, which can be helpful, or Toastmasters if you need the skill. Get out there and try stand-up comedy if you want to get, like, that's the hardest form of public speaking, I think. And so if you do well at stand-up, then it's going to be easier to do speaking events. But, you know, it goes back to, you know, maybe it's, uh, you know, beating the same drum, but making that choice. And once you've made that choice, find the actions that you can take to go out and try it. Yeah, we answer it with, uh, are you willing to have done what we've done? And yeah. so it's, it's, uh, it, it, it's, uh, the, the answer is, you know, we can all get here, but we've all mm-hmm. paid dues. Um, but you're right. You have to start and you have to take that first step. Um, but, uh, we've certainly appreciated your time and I've loved having you as a guest so much. So we got to have you back. We got to yeah, have you back. I'm you got to happy to come it, back. Well, and, and I'm doing it live because I'm I'm giving you that uh, peer pressure that says you can't say no because I've got it recorded and it's going to be podcasted in 91 countries that said you said you were going to come back, right? So um, that that's how we like to do it. I know. If you keep as long as you keep telling great funny stories to to build off of what I'm saying, I am all for it. Andrew, it's been a pleasure. I loved meeting you in, in Austin. We had such a fantastic time. You've been a great – you're doing fantastic things. We, we love you for it. Everybody, go find the United States of Laughter. I'm sure you can find that on Amazon. Go to andrewtarvin.com. Please support this young man. He's doing fantastic things in the workplace. We loved having you. We'll have you back. Um, and uh, uh, just keep doing great things, man. We, we appreciate Absolutely. you being a part of the show. Well, thank you, Rick, and happy belated birthday. Hopefully you got a milkshake or whatever is your equivalent of the thing that you love to eat. Everything, which is how you get a figure <laughs> like mine. Man. That's that's exactly how you get a figure like mine. So, uh, listen, gang, thank you so much for being part of the Work-Life Balance this week. Uh, next week, we're going to have Inga Rock. And if you guys, uh, a lot of you that, that listen to the show know exactly who I'm talking about. Uh, but Inga Rock is, is a, a very valued uh, and, and lovely member of the John Maxwell team. Um, if you've ever been to a John Maxwell training, she's the person that gets everybody excited in the room and ready to be a part of the training. Uh, but wait until you find out what she does uh, just for individuals, for people. She's one of the most inspirational people I know. Uh, and so she's going to be a part of this show next week. Uh, we're going to be taking that uh, call in Chicago as John Stenbeck and I will be launching uh, the Agile Almanac Volume 2 uh, next week out in Chicago, Illinois. So if you're going to be with us in Chicago, please come up and say hello to us. Other than that, we'll be talking to you guys again next week on the Work-Life Balance. You've been listening to Rick Morris. Please support Andrew Tarvin at andrewtarvin.com and following him on social media. We'll talk to all of you guys next week on the Work-Life Balance. You've been listening to Rick Morris. Thank you for joining us this week. The Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now that the weekend is here, it's time to rethink your priorities and enjoy it. We'll see you on our next show.